we uh, there's not a rule that you have to do, use the three subs. You don't find us competitive. Um, he's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Alrighty, hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the third sub podcast, episode 73 to be exact. And I'm your co-host Alexander Gongiruzic. I'm joined by Samuel Rowan and Sam, I'll pass the introductions over to you very quickly today because without much further ado, we'll have we'll dive right into what is going to be a pretty exciting interview with a, a very special guest. So before we do that, Sam, how's it going this week? It's going great, and I want to just extend a congratulations to us because it's been just over a year now that we've been doing the Third Sub Podcast, and uh, for any of you out there that have been listening since the beginning, first of all, what are you doing? Second of all, thank you very much. So uh, yeah, just wanted to point that out. Um, Yeah, we're thrilled to be back today. I think this is a very appropriate episode to kind of mark the one-year anniversary. We have Angus McNabb, wearer of all hats for York United, CEO, GM, president, really just a guy that's infinitely interesting, good stuff on the analytics front. He understands the marketing, branding, communication side of things, but he also seems to have a good grasp on the footballing itself, but he's also kind of humble in the sense that he he knows his role so just tons of insightful discussion uh, we went almost an hour with him he was very gracious with his time so uh yeah uh, enjoy the interview so we're joined today by a very special guest for episode 73 angus McNabb, york united's gm and president and as well as CEO. So we're very pleased to be joined by Angus. Thanks for uh, taking the time today. No problem at all. It's great to have a chat, guys. So I guess we'll, we'll, we'll dive right into things right away here. You've been in this York United job for, for about a year now, just over or nearly a year now, I guess. You've been through an Island game season. You've had a rebrand. You've had some major changes, a busy first year. How for you, from your perspective, how has this first year gone? Um, it's gone okay. Um, and, and I can only say okay because um, we've not been able to do it with our fans. Um, so very, very strange. Uh, unlike any year I've, I think any of us have ever seen in in life, in in sort of like recent memory and sort of in history for us. So we we all adapt, we get on. And um, but yeah, it, it's been a lot of fun. I'm very, very proud to be involved with the project um, with the Borders are our family um, as sort of the owners at York. Um, but just very, very excited um, to, to still be here, to uh, still be going and to be getting closer and, and ramping up for a new season that's just on the horizon. It seems like a big a big focus of a lot of things you've been doing, at least in like a front-facing perspective, has been fan engagement, you know, targeting certain demographics, getting people more involved in the club. And it feels like a big part of that was the rebrand itself and kind of giving a new face to this team in York, I guess we've obviously we've seen, you know, the, the marketing stuff, we've seen the new kits, we've seen the new logo, but 
from our perspective, I guess I'm curious, like, how do you, how do you go about starting a venture like that? Like, what is step one in going, okay, we want a new look, a new face for this team. How do we, how do we get there to the final product? So how we got there was in the very, very early days of piecing this together. And my, my joining the club was, um, establishing things that we felt really mattered and establishing mission, vision, core values. So once we had done that process within the club in January, February of uh, 2020, it then sort of evolved and we got on task. We got moving towards what what do we need to do? Um, where do we need to be to sort of see this club reach its potential? And with that, you have lots of discussions with your staff. You have lots and lots of discussions with sort of your, your fan base and everything else. And chatting to the staff who had been in the job, it, the brand was restrictive previously. And so there were certain things that they felt that widening in it and sort of opening up our, our catchment area um, did a lot of things for us. Um, the fact that we played in the GTA, not York region, one factor on it. Um, but there are were, there were a number of things. And then when you ultimately have to make a decision like that, um, we go back to mission, vision, values. The vision is we want people to be inspired to dream bigger. Um, we dreamed bigger than where we currently stood as a club. Um, and then value side of that, um, we are fearless, joyful, creative, and united. So sometimes you have to make bold statements. You have to make bold moves to get to where you want to go. And um, that went for us as well. So we then begun the process and through doing some things initially in-house and then leaning on some sort of specialists within the, the industry on the design side that I knew. Um, a very good friend of mine um, who I'd worked with on previous projects, Carl Hudson, um, is the creative director at the New York Islanders. And um, he's a, a Brit here in uh, in North America and a really, really good guy that I've worked many, many times. He's a really passionate Nottingham Forest fan. Um, and created the Nottingham Forest uh, supporters club here in New York and worked for, done lots of stuff on the brand side for those guys and for other clients within sports and sports business. Um, like Carl was a really good resource to sort of our, our young design team. So uh, Rob Marges and um, like Nate Hershenfeld on, on our sort of side at the club. But Rob and Nate sort of had a couple of phone calls with Carl and, just he was able to pose some interesting questions and frame things in an interesting way just to start and then off the back of that it's then right okay if we were going to do this well what does the research show us so actually quantifying how people felt putting in informational surveys into market and taking all of that on that's really what drove us to the decision where okay this is what we want to do this is the direction we're going to take um, and I was very, very proud that it was organic and from within the club, not a third party design agency that comes in and takes control over your future and things like that. We retained what we want, what we felt was special about the club. We retained nice elements that existed within the current brand and brand architecture and visualize with the Trillium, the nine stripes, things there. And we evolved it and we moved on. So very, very happy with how it's gone. Um, We'll be happier when we see it on pitch um, even sooner. Well, yeah, kind of on that vein, maybe it's early days, but 
comparing, let's say, just because it's recent and it's happened between the Montreal rebrand, because it's kind of been a parallel there, the reaction has been overwhelmingly positive on your side compared to maybe Montreal, where it's been, you know, a bit bit of mixed reaction from fans. From your perspective, it is still early and obviously seeing how it affects attendance, how it affects other things, well, that will come with time. But kind of how has the, the, the changes been perceived? How, how has fan engagement gone up? Has, has there been a, maybe an, an increase of uh, season ticket holders? And kind of how, how have you felt that process has gone? Well, that, that side of it in the sales process, we're moving on in the right direction. I think right now, everyone's, there's a lot of work. We were very, very fortunate in terms of our season ticket holder base. We had so many people subscribe to the collective last summer um, and roll over credits into uh, 2021. So that put us at a good, a good point for our base, really, um, with where everything stood on that. We've then introduced just now the campaign that's live where it's a dollar down to effectively reserve your place in line um, in the order that you've purchased so that if we do face limited capacity, we have sort of something that we can go off and, and look at there. Um, and and that, has, that has proved quite popular um, because it's no commitment from people until we have the sort of the full schedule out really, um, just with a, a dollar down and nothing being charged to uh, their credit cards or, or their, their details or anything like that until we have a schedule release. Um, that, the combination of um, three-year contracts for our season seat members um, and then receiving a jersey for signing up for the three years um, has been quite popular. And, and you roll into the fact that I think we've got a great, well, yeah, there's no two ways about it. Everyone will say they've got it, but I think we've got the best looking jersey in the league in the new Nine Stripes Edition kit. Um, really, really smart looking kit that's going to take the field there. So that's proved popular. And um, we just move on. We've got to continue to iterate and we've got to continue to innovate with some of those things and, and what we offer our fans. Um, and so we just look to keep trying things. Um, no means perfected it yet. We've got a long way to go to catch up with um, the Halifaxes, the Forges, the Valors in their attendance and what they set um, in in year one. So we'll just keep striving for that and, and keep going and try to build this thing into what it deserves to be um, and what those that invested in the club and put time, money, effort in so far um, what they deserve off the back of that as well. I guess there's a, a final question for me on the rebranding front at least. How much, if any, dialogue do you have with the league throughout that process? Like, are they kind of sitting in, seeing what's going on? Do they just totally go hands off and let the member clubs kind of do whatever they like? How, how does that interaction go throughout that process? No, in terms of, I, I think we had a lot of discussion with the league, but that's because we've got a good relationship with them, um, if you want the honest truth. So um, that's discussing it with sort of fellow people that's governors, um, letting them in on what we're thinking, what we're doing, why we're making the change, why it's important for, um, and, and I can only say how great it was to work with like other owners around the table who see the need for a strong club in York, a strong club in the GTA. Um, so to make these changes for the overall health of our business and ultimately the business that sits within the league was great. Um, Roy League's sort of, uh, director of marketing, VP of marketing, uh, it's great to bounce an odd idea off here and there, work with on it. Um, the league then set some fan panels up for us as well towards the end of the process. And so all of it was great. There's a good dialogue there. There's a healthy dialogue. Um, but it's 
ultimately the the creative and the work that we've done it's it's come from inside um and then we worked a little bit on the reveal show as well um their experience and just some of the technology and things they've used um across the pandemic helped us out as we piece that together with Shams and um the guys there hosting it for us and, and things there but they were very supportive of it um they were really really supportive of the fact that uh, owen o'callaghan our director of content was able to uh pull in a favor and get Jay Barishel to narrate the brand spot and things like that. So it was great. I mean, um, you, you collaborate on these things. I think you've, you've always got to look to try and collaborate, include people, um, build things together um, because then there's, there's buy-in from all parties. What kind of next, a big question that a lot of people have is about stadium, about attendance, because that, especially I guess in year one, cause that's all we kind of have to go off of. York's attendance was always a hot topic. So going forward, what are the plans to do to kind of to sort that out? Is, is that does that involve moving away from York University Stadium? Does that involve changing the layout of the stadium? There's so many questions to kind of have there. So kind of what are the stadium plans going forward now that the the rebrand is all done and all taken care of? Right. It seems like a lifetime ago, but we did release a 2020 schedule as a league. Uh, we didn't just have the Island Games. Uh, we had plans to play in market. Um, and we had looked to address this 12 months ago, literally around this time. So we'd been looking at the move to Friday night football um, and sort of carving out our own little niche within the sort of GTA sports market, um, making sure that we didn't have um, clashes uh, with Toronto FC for it because we did have season seat holders that were season seat holders of both. Um, so avoiding those clashes, carving out our own little niche, creating this journey of sort of pub to the pitch on a Friday night for people pouring out of offices downtown. You use that subway, be there in 30 minutes and um, you're at our stadium. So in terms of stadium accessibility and what that can mean from people from downtown getting out to us, We've got a fantastic venue and a fantastic partner in York University. So there's there's no need to change things there. Um, so a lot of the plans to tackle and address attendance we had looked at um, and, and we were sort of very strong on that. I think the mentality still remains the same. We got things wrong in year one. So we need to reintroduce people to the product. So this sort of theory of sample and trial, we want people to come along single game small game packs and then build out and build their fandom with us. Um, football, football fandom, our club, the CPL, it's infectious. It, it really, really builds and builds within you. So if we can get people in sampling our product, seeing the quality of football on the pitch, I think we can really, really convert them into season seat members and fans there. And that's really, really important for us. So we had started on that journey. We'll continue on that when it's safe to do so with people in the stands. Yeah, I guess when we when we get to that point when it's safe to do so, um, I guess kind of with the whole trying to bring new people into the sport or get those fans re-engaged, it seems like there's two factors for you that would be really important. It's the that kind of under 30 or the you know young professional demographic, if you want to put it that way, and then also just you know either getting new fans into the sport. Um, in that regard, like. I've seen you interviewed and it's something that's kind of widely publicized. Like 
Toronto is not an easy market to break into or to get people to turn up. I think we have to a lesser degree something similar in Vancouver where unless the product is attractive or the team's competitive, it becomes very difficult. And you saw in Toronto, like with the Toronto Argonauts and the CFL, they had real challenges. How do you, I guess, you know, in addition to some of the stuff you just talked about, how do you overcome those challenges and attract in like a a young demographic of people, you know, growing up in working in Toronto? I think it's it's all of the things you said there in terms of like, yeah, competition for um, entertainment dollars in Toronto is very, very high. Um, there's no two ways about it. If you've got money to spend on socializing, on going out, on going to games, on going to concerts, um, there's more competition um, within Toronto and the GTA than there is probably anywhere else in the country. Um, so we have to be on our game. That means that we have to sort out some of the kinks that we had in stadium experience um, and, and some of the things that we've looked at there will address that. Um, and I think, yeah, the, the product on pitch, that's something that we obviously, we look to address. We're not in this to turn up, we're in it to win. Um, but equally, we, we need to make it that, that we run a fantastic event um, that people want to come back to and return to. I think the sort of younger millennial demographic um, that everyone's crying out for. Yes, we want that because obviously there's no secret on that. That brings big ad dollars with it. That brings sort of atmosphere. That brings all of these things that people with. And the reason it brings ad dollars is that market has rapid career growth and they have disposable income. So, and they're willing to spend it on entertainment, entertainment products and, and things in that realm. So, Yes, we have to access that. And, and how do we access that? Well, it's you look at what's been popular in other places. It's making sure that craft beer that people want to drink is there in stands. You make sure that food, beverage, all of that aspect is taken care of. The in-stadium atmosphere is welcoming, inclusive, fits the values and sort of what you preach. Um, so we have to get a lot of things right. I think we've had to make some very, very simple decisions in our stadium setup um, and actually some, in some ways, needless spend for where we are. So we'll remove a great deal of the temporary seating that was around the field. The field sort of layout and positioning has changed with the construction um, at the stadium and the pitch will be closer to the, uh, the main grandstand. And all of that is great and really, really moving things on well for us. And we're, we're getting to where we need to be. We're putting the the building blocks are in place for us to realize our potential as a club. Um, we've made some some signings in the front office, um, off the field in this off season. Eva coming into the club from the league um, is one of those. Um, Brittany Arna joining us from uh, Winnipeg and Valor um, as well on the ticketing side. So we've made we've put people in place um, that we feel can help us get to the goal which is a full stadium and, and a great atmosphere for our fan base. Well, kind of, yeah, pivoting off of that, it's, it's clear when kind of looking at Canadian soccer, there is a strong popularity on that kind of 40 over demographic just from, you know, how, how popular the sport was earlier. And then their kids are really getting into sport. There's kind of maybe in that U12, U15, it's, it's massively popular. But talking about that kind of 15 to 30 demographic, we were just talking about a big way that, that you can kind of target them as how active this kind of generation is on social media. And your club in particular has been really active on social media, you as well. 
have been particularly active on social media. And that's not always something we're kind of used to seeing from higher ups in, in, in teams being as active as you are in social media. How important has that been just to, to put your voice out there, to engage with fans and just making sure that to show people, okay, we're, we are people at this club. We're not just a bunch of kind of faces behind the logo that we never really hear about. I think it's massive. I think this year more than ever, um, because I'm not able to sort of meet people for a beer before or after or a halftime or anything like that and, and hear their concerns, hear what they do. So I think social's huge for us on, on that side of it. It's huge for me personally as a, not just as a listening device, but as conversationally as, as we try and use it. Um, I think it, if you do it that way, it truly does become organic and you grow your fan base in the right way. Um, it's not about anything for us other than making sure that we take advantage of what social media is. And social media is and can be a great way to communicate and a great platform for you to put information and, and engagement and people speak about engagement metrics in social, like that's all I really care about. Not volume of content, but how engaged are our fan base. Uh, and I know from looking at this, from looking at some reports and things from companies like Entourage and uh, guys there, we are creating some of the best content out there in terms of the engagement that we see back from us across all platforms in what we're producing um, is incredibly powerful um, and is resonating with our fan base. People are engaging with it, seeking more out from it. And that's, um, that's only going to stand us in good stead. If we can maintain that level of engagement as well as growing um, our social followings and accounts, that's where we need to be. Um, and we've seen pretty dramatic growth across Instagram, Twitter, we started from a very, very, I'll be honest, quite poor place, quite low bar, and we're raising that. We should sort of get there and, and move up the sort of the league social followings um, a little bit quicker, and uh, we need to do that. So we've got some pretty ambitious plans, not just in uh, social, social, but in generally in content creation. Um, Owen O'Callaghan coming on. Um, Owen's had a long history both in front of and behind the camera, in front of the camera with the Fox Soccer Report and things there, but behind the camera as a producer and a, a writer, a journalist as well across soccer. So um, Owen's making really good strides there, um, some really good long-form written content on Stolly, on Jimmy and their experiences around the transfer window in January. Um, some re a really powerful piece with uh, Jordan last week on his experiences as a, as, a, as a black man, as a black footballer in Denmark and uh, things that he encountered there. So I think we're doing some really, really good things in that regard and we'll look to make a, a bigger stance and sort of really, really push out more things and sort of more media sort of content, create this sort of media division of the club um, where we're publishing things that are an insight into our players and their passions. So we're we're sort of trying to develop a series with, uh, with Nico right now, um, focused around sort of goalkeepers and goalkeeping. Um, and we hope to get some pretty big name guests um, in on that uh, with him. And I think that's great because, yes, we want fans in stands, but we want fans connecting with our players and interacting with them. And so building this up, doing that, really, really important to us. Yeah, I guess, but right before we get into players, just a, a final 
point in terms of like the marketing, branding, media side of things. Obviously, especially if fans are going to be in limited attendance or whatever it looks like this season, we don't know. The broadcast product is something that's still incredibly important. And you, in your past professional experience, have some familiarity with that side of things. I guess I'm just looking for your overall thoughts on the broadcast product over the last two years. And is there anything you can do as a club to kind of work with the league and continually improve that experience for fans? Yeah, I think... um where we try and work with our, our partners at One Soccer and obviously on CBC as well during the Island Games, um, we we try to really, really share content. So we're in a unique situation where we have privileged access to our players as soon as they're in market. So any content we create, anything we do, the, um, the sort of the Nine Stripes video series that we put out on the club's YouTube channel throughout the Island Games and just leading up to the Island Games, um, we always made sure that that content was available for one soccer and they used it. They ran it a couple of times um, across like their, their sort of uh, half times and pre games and things like that. So that side of it's important. We also really tried to, even though we were out of the tournament, we tried to make our, our players available um, for, for context and understanding um, really as soon as that they returned from the Island games. So, uh, Chris Manila jumped in studio, I think the Wednesday after uh, he was back. Ija Howie did it as well. And uh, Ija was far too comfortable for a young man with his first time on TV, just hopping into that seat as well. And that's important for us because the sport is its own soap, soap opera. So you've got heroes, heroes villains and storylines. And so we've got to let people into those. Um, it can't just be whistle to whistle. We've got to build this content, build this narrative, build rivalry, build passion, build tension. And so anything we can do to aid that in our broadcast partners, that's great. I think with regards to the, the innovation and what's been shown uh, at the Island Games, I thought the virtual stadium, there's been so many executions um, of that with things with no fans in stadiums and things there the guys were playing on a college field that had no infrastructure yet it got made to look world-class on, on a broadcast. Um, so I think we really have done a good job there. Uh, I think one soccer are a very, very good partner of the league. I think they're always looking to up their, uh, their game at every opportunity and push things there. But again, it's, it's working with people, um, having people invested in this and invested in the growth of the game together. That's what's going to get us there. So um, very, very happy with it so far. I think the presentation of it reflects very well on our players in the international transfer market as well because it's produced to a high quality and um, the footage for analysis for scouting is very, very good that we can supply as a result. Well, kind of maybe moving on to the player side now that we've kind of talked kind of about what's been going on behind the scenes off the field. When we talk about a rebrand, a big part at getting fans engaged, as kind of Sam maybe mentioned earlier, is the product on the field. And there's always, you know, a need, a desire to, to improve the product. And you guys have certainly been very active in the transfer market, getting in players to, to help your team grow. And maybe first kind of to talk about it, you've made sure in this window and last window to kind of target players who are familiar with the league. You've got Michael Petrasso, who's currently on loan, but he was there for the Island games. You got Dominic Zator, who is also on loan, but looks like he should be back for, for, for this season. You've got 
uh, Noah Verhoeven as well from, from Pacific. How important was it to target players who you've seen around the league have success already kind of in, in the league just to, to show, okay, we want to kind of grow the spine of our team before kind of adding around it? Um, I think that's one of the things we certainly look at. So we have a, we take in a data set from um, stats perform from Opta um, where we look at everything across the last two years of the league and Noah in particular, he shone through in his 2019 numbers and we saw something that 2020 didn't correlate as much small sample size, less games, all of that sort of stuff as a caveat to look at it. But we saw enough from Noah's data in 2019 that he could potentially be someone who would uh, come in and help us with some of the problems that we were seeing in, in the data in team performance. We were not, and 2020, we created the lowest expected goals from open play for every shot that there's been in the, in the two sort of short years of the league, but that's not good enough. We can't expect to progress in this tournament in the regular season and into playoffs if we have the lowest expected goal value per shot in open play. Um, we know that there's something fundamentally not working there. So we need to change. And if we don't, if we keep things and we keep the status quo and we expect change, we've got no one to blame but ourselves if it doesn't. So we made the decision on the roster and the decision on the roster came about because we really, really looked to keep the core together, but we had to have that discussion with players that if you want to stay together, we need to improve in other areas. And we need to make sure that there is the ability to, in a salary cap league, improve in other areas. We couldn't necessarily pay that. I certainly didn't feel that for the performance we had shown in uh, 2020, that anyone should be deserving upgraded contracts um, because we were a, a failing team. We did not qualify for the top four. We did not hit the 50% pass mark required to be in the frame for that thing. Now, very small margins that we missed that by, um, very small margins. We didn't lose a game until that final day. We were in it until we were into the next round until six minutes to go in the game on the Sunday. So very fine margins, but they maybe it revealed something to us that needed to be revealed um, and needed to change for the, the long-term success and to be a perennial playoff club, which is what this team needs to be. Yeah, I get the sense that kind of like the branding, it felt like the club needed to, you know, take a bit of a step in a different direction in order to move forward. Like there was there was quality in that team, but it felt like there was something kind of holding it back from achieving the levels you guys were looking for. And it feels like now with the rebrand and bringing in new players, you're kind of poised to take that step. And something that seems like it's going to be crucial in that is some of the additions you guys have made from South America, Sebastian Gutierrez, Lissandra Cabrera, William Wallace, Mateo Hernandez. And not all of these guys are necessarily playing, you know, currently at the top flight in their leagues, guys from U20, but interesting clubs, interesting backstories. What kind of combination of you, you spoke about OptiData and some of the analytics, but, um, this had to be a thing I'm sure where you had on the ground Intel on some of these players as well. What kind of combo of analytics and, you know, in-person or virtual scouting were you doing to target these guys and then bring them in? So you're absolutely right. It's a bit of both. It's a bit of everything. And I've described this before as 
data is not just numbers and like the the sort of binary of how many of this how many of that and tallying things on the field data and information takes many forms be it's structured unstructured and it's just about grabbing as much as it as you can to do due, due diligence and then make decisions based on that so that can be reports from players coaches scouts people that you know within your network there might be an agent who reps a coach at Newell's old boys there might be these various things. So you have to put all these bits of connected tissue together to get the report, to get the information on the person, the personality, and then on this technical basis as well. Um, on the data side of it, um, and, and being very, very frank with where the league is right now, if Matteo Hernandez is playing every game for Cologne in the Argentinian Superliga, he's probably not finding his way to us. So. We have to do this and we have to look at, okay, here is a volume of games, a bank of footage where he's been playing in the first team. Here is a volume of games where he's sort of been on loan or been in reserves and watch that and explore that. And the South American leagues, you actually do have to dig quite hard. Anyone who just looks at transfer mark um, and things like that on the South American players, you'll be wrong because there's some big missing gaps in it. So particularly Colombia on transfer market is quite patchy, quite spotty. But if you look at soccer way, it's got a bit of better data that sits there and things that, that you look on that. You then bring in another third, fourth source, be it Smarter Scout or StatsBomb or one of these other data providers or consultancies that I'm very fortunate that I've got a lot of friends in these places and can pick up a phone and say, A, B, C or D, what do you think of? So we build that picture up. And then, again, it's about just presenting a case to make a decision. And um, Sebastian Gutierrez, that was one where we had had a couple of other players that we had looked at in Colombia fall through. Um, and so we went back to the drawing board because it was a market that, to be really honest, I saw great value in the price point that we were looking at. We were not waiting on agents to present players to us. We were actually able to use data, to use scouting, to use things and say, actually, what about him, him, him or him? And sort of create a little bit of a priority list. And, Sebastian had a phenomenal year in 2019 with Linaros. He's like the club's top scorer uh, club in the Colombian second division. When you sort of build that picture up, he's just a guy that got unlucky because 2020 was 2020. Um, and so he hadn't picked up a club when the pandemic hits. So he sits out the year. We're then able to come in. And I don't think he's a guy that should have fallen to us, quite frankly. I think he's a guy that has huge potential to play higher. Um, and to move on in his career in other places. Yet he was all for the project, loved it, seized the opportunity. And it's finding the right people, the right personalities who see this for what it is. It's not, oh, I'm just going to go to Canada and earn a paycheck. They're coming here because their ambitions are massive. They want to be like absolutely using this as the stage, the showcase it is, and really, really drive on. I think it's going to be even better for us as well with recent news and CONCACAF Champions League qualification in future years and things like that. There are going to be players who are, want that stage. And so they, they want a stage, they want somewhere to perform, they want that opportunity and we can give them all it. Well, that's, that South American market in particular has been one of interest in North America. I think we've seen it in MLS how just how many players are constantly kind of coming through that South America to North America pipeline just for various reasons, opportunities, sometimes financially teams in South America can kind of be all over that 
all over the place. So it, it is interesting to, to see you guys target that market in particular. And mentioning the analytics earlier, it's kind of we'll, we'll kind of rift off of what you said in terms of the, the analytics. Um, just how important is it to, to use analytics in the team building process to kind of, especially in a league where you, you have salary caps, you have, you have money constraints because it's not like you can throw, throw money at your problems and solve them. So how important is it to take numbers and kind of use it to find market inefficiencies? Because that is a big buzzword in, in, in a league like, like this, where you have constraints at your hands. How important is that to, to kind of find guys under the radar? Like you mentioned, like someone like, uh, you know, like, like Gutierrez, like you mentioned, how, how important is that? Yeah, it's massive. I mean, it's, you said it right when you said market inefficiency. Um, like people see Moneyball. Moneyball is not about picking the 11 statistically best players. Moneyball is about using analytics as a means to identifying talent and bringing it into your environment at the appropriate budget price point to, to develop a winning team, a winning culture, um, and to get what you want. We, we add an extra layer of complexity on that as well because we very, very specifically are looking at a project here and something to build. So we're looking at age on that and we're looking to get guys who are on the, on the, on the upward curve coming into their peak years as well. So we look at guys like Sebastian, Lissandro, Matteo, they're guys, Alvaro Rivero, Julian Ulbricht, they're guys that are on that upward side of the age curve. Um, and that's the other piece that we look into this as well, is that are they the right sort of age profile for us, for what we're looking to do? And the reason we're looking at that is when we look at the contracts that we have on the books of some of our younger guys within the roster, we're looking to build something here and have the potential that this is not a sort of one and done team this year. We're looking to go out there, excel and, and shock a few people this year. But here, if this comes right and, and we're there, which we feel we can be, like this group's going to be around for quite a while unless people come and speak to us and, and knock on the door because there's there's other opportunity for them. So we've built this with, with that in mind. I think uh, 22 out of the 23 players we have signed, um, we are either in contract next season or we have an option on next season. So... This is a group we can build with. And that's also great as well, because these guys know that we've got to perform if you want to stay in this environment. And we really have to sort of focus on building something, improving and doing something really special here. As, as a final kind of point on the analytics front and a question for you, um, he's obviously moved on, but what kind of impact did Sam Gregory have in his year in that role as a on-field, you know, kind of analytics personality and how much of that kind of, you know, carries over into what you're doing moving forward? Like what was his, his role and his impact to that first season of you kind of getting embedded in the club? So Sam, Sam's great. He's someone that has been reported a few times. I, I've worked with Sam. This would be the, the third company that I've worked with him at. So with him at uh, Opta we then both uh, Sam was there full-time I was there as a consultant for a while at Sport Logic um, up in Montreal as well and then then at York um, Sam is very very good at, at what he does as a as a data analyst first of all um, 
he does things in a in the right way writes smart models smart code that gets us insight what i think his greatest skill is how he um interfaces with people and how he, he puts his ideas across and, and displays his research so um that's certainly a skill that sam had when we looked at and when sam was able to show us different ways of visualizing okay here is this player's strength relative to the rest of the league so Noah, for example, Noah was particularly good in year one and well above average in the sort of the top sort of 10, 15th percentile at sort of through balls and creation of attacking opportunity. So actually looking at that on a per 90 basis with what Noah did was something that Sam's able to visualize, flag to us, show very, very simply, um, but impactfully. So doing those kind of pieces, um, being someone that uh, you can bounce ideas off. Uh, he even, Jimmy had a couple of questions on um, possession regains and generation of scoring opportunities after quick throw-ins and these kind of things. So just a little bit of myth-busting, a little bit of um, posing as devil's advocate, answering questions, doing things. Sam played a massive role in all of that. Um, so not just in the recruitment um, and things we did once the Island Games were over, but in our opposition analysis in a short turnaround tournament, he's able to create some some great reports that looked at where teams were creating their chances. They're really, really sort of simple and strong visualizations of team expected goals and where their shots were being generated from. Um, he, he did a lot of great work. And I think testament to that is where we were um, and how sad we all are to, to see him move on. Um, but it's a phenomenal opportunity for him uh, down in Miami. And uh, I don't blame him for wanting a, a chat and a cup of coffee with uh, the Beckhams every now and then versus chatting to me. So uh, it's not a bad thing for him. Well, yeah, maybe my, my final question as well on, on analytics. And it, I'm just curious to kind of hear from your perspective as someone, as you've mentioned, Pardon is involved in analytics and you've been involved in kind of where do you see the future of analytics going from in terms of what you can kind of see because I think from comparing to five years ago what you can the sort of things you can tell especially about forwards uh, midfielders and fullbacks are, are quite impressive I, I do still think there is a bit of a limitation with center backs and goalkeepers that is being worked on so kind of maybe what do you see from that perspective and on a similar vein, what what kind of how do you see analytics continuing to be integrated into front offices and coaching staff? Because as we've kind of seen in, in, in most sporting industries, not just football, sometimes people can be reluctant to change. And while, you know, there's clubs like in your case, you've been very analytic friendly. Not all clubs have been in a similar vein. So kind of maybe it's a bit of an interesting two part question, but kind of how do you see the, the future of analytics going now from what you've seen in the past few years? So I think to look at the future, you've got to look at the current state. And uh, Daniel Altman, who runs uh, the smarter scout, sort of uh, data scouting sort of business that sits there. Um, and it's great. Anyone can jump on and have a play with smarter scout with free sign up and a little bit of like you've got a fixed number of credits you can use to that per day. But I think I saw a tweet from either from uh, Dan himself or from the smarter scout account and saying that, this was possibly one of the biggest windows for soccer analytics um, as much as it was player transfers with Sam to Miami. Um, you've got other people going from uh, basketball to Austin FC. 
I think the Red Bulls confirmed their analytics higher this morning um, as well, and and numerous others. Um, I think you had Laurie Shaw as well going to Man City as well, and Laurie's sort of giving up a very very serious big almost tenure. Or if he isn't, if he doesn't have tenure, he's on a route to tenure at Harvard um, to go and work at Man City. Um, so I think the value in it is that you've seen the growth in it in this off season and people are doing it where that goes now and why well why it's valuable right now is the economy is tougher than ever before a lot of people in the soccer business this is their secondary business they make their money in other places um and then they have to use discretionary spending discretionary funds to fund transfer activity to fund everything else so with either the opportunity with some markets being depressed right now um, and sort of other players, clubs being willing to sell, you need to be in a position to have done as much due diligence as possible, all of your shortlisting, everything that you need there. So analytics can definitely help that and sort of give you the information you would expect if you're going to do due diligence on any kind of merger, acquisition, transaction, acquisition of an asset for a business, you would do due diligence. So, when you're looking at paying people huge sums of money, the the price of an analyst who doesn't even cost one week's wages on a five-year contract makes absolute sense on one transfer. Now, and data analytics personnel within clubs, they're not being judged on one transfer. They're being judged on a complete parcel of it. So at the absolute elite level of the game, it makes sense. When you throw on top of that, computer vision, tracking, all of these kind of things, it's a proper like data center like that you need. You need a database manager. You need people who can handle, deal with, and sort of uh, search, maybe even apply AI, machine learning, these things to, to the data to sort of look and find other insights. So it's become a real specialism in its own right because the volume of data, the number of data points that we're, we're sort of seeking out and looking at has grown so so much. I mean, when I was at Opta, you're looking at 2,000 events per team, per game. You're now looking at 60 frames per second on a Premier League game with like the tracking data. So in a five, 10 minute period, like you absolutely smashed it out of the park in terms of all of that. So the computing power to search seasons of tracking data is real and is very serious. So. The industry is going to get more technical. It's going to have more specialists. Um, there's going to be more opportunity for people as a result. But we're going to need to remain competitive because data science is a valuable skill in industry and people can make a lot of money, whether it's financial modeling, uh, data-driven algorithmic trading, whatever it is. Um, so we're going to have to remain competitive in industry to make sure we continue to attract the best talent. Right. Well, that, that certainly gave... I think Alex and I have a lot to think about. We'll have to uh, revisit that answer because maybe in a couple of years' time we'll, we'll continue to be really pertinent. But kind of transitioning from you know stuff in the back room, stuff in a, a server room, people at computers to on-the-pitch stuff. Um, you talked a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was with Neil Davidson, about the possibility of training camp starting around March 1st. Um, realistically, what does that look like for York United? And then also in terms of kind of season prep, obviously things not fully determined, but 
what kind of, you know, exhibition matches type stuff would you look to for your club to get into to get ready for a CPL season? Yes, it's interesting. It's a, it's a challenge right now, full stop, um, because we've got to do it safely. So we have to follow both federal government, local with Ontario, um, our own CPL and Canada soccer restrictions and return to play protocols and everything that sits there. And, it con- and it's a constantly moving target. So that's hard. Um, there's a lot of planning. There's a lot of things that we will uh, look at there. I think um, when we look to return to training and things like that, we're, we're building out what that timeline looks with Jimmy, with Stolly, with Camillo on the coaching staff. Um, we'll then look at how we integrate our physical data, our GPS, what we're going to monitor, what we're going to look at in player load over the first couple of weeks and things that sit there. And then what we're going to continually test and monitor so we can see progress through the preseason. So not just physical, but uh, the other things that we need to keep an eye out for as well in terms of team cohesion, um, how the group is coming together and everything there. So yeah, it's all, it's all a challenge. Um, I'm sure our, when it's safe to do so, um, again, we, we're quite fortunate in that we sit, we've got the, well, we've got the best in terms of travel schedule in that if it's possible, we can maybe nip up to Ottawa and play a game. We can head down to Hamilton and play Forge. Um, we've got a lot of good League One Ontario teams, but the challenge in all of that is that we have to do all of this within the current situation we face and nothing's more important than like our players, our coaching staff, we're young men, we're all pretty much fit and healthy, but that's not what all of this is about. It's like the fact that you could bump into someone else and someone who's an at-risk person and things there. So you have to follow a strict set of guidelines for the greater good of everyone else. And we'll adapt and we'll work to that. And then uh, we'll get ready and work the same as everyone else for the, um, for the start of the season in May, um, which I just can't wait for. Um, I'm ready to watch our boys play football again. We're nearing the, the end of this, uh, this interview here. And again, thanks for, for so far what you've done. It's been, it's been great. And kind of last few questions here, at least one for me. Heading into 2021, what kind of identity are you, are, is York United looking to bring on the field in terms of what kind of football do you want your fans to, to, to watch and see, okay, this is York United football? Um, the way we've recruited and what we've looked at, we've looked at sort of tactical flexibility. So we have the ability for our squad to play a number of different ways. And that's Jimmy's job. Jimmy's the head coach. Um, so he will look at these players as he's coming now um, and decide on what we're putting together as, as a product on the field um, and how we are going to play. Um, ultimately for us and what we want that to be, we want that to be winning football. We want to be winning football that is developing sort of young, promising talent. We've got an average squad age of, I think, 22 years, seven months, um, which is really, really exciting. And particularly when we say, as, as we said earlier, most of that group, we have the ability to bring back next year with contract options or future years on their deals. So that's really exciting for us. So we're at the start of building something that is long-term sustained success for this football club. And we hope it's with everyone that we've got in the picture right now but everyone understands that this is not sort of rec soccer anymore this is the serious business of football and we are here and we want to put a winning product on the field for our fans 
So we're going to try and support our players. We're going to try and support our coaching staff with absolutely everything in our arsenal that counts towards wins and can help them generate wins. But we're going to need to create an environment and a training environment where Jimmy and Stolly will work guys hard. Like that, they are good coaches. They are taskmasters. We've got to set the challenge to our players though that it's not just hard work. It's competition every day, every minute. And it's competition in the sense that we're driving and we're raising and elevating everyone in the group. It's not competition that's vindictive or nasty or divisive. What we're doing is we are competing to raise the level and to absolutely build a footballing culture and a footballing identity within this club um, where it is excellence is what we're striving for. In terms of the the competitive aspect of this upcoming season, you've kind of seen Forge and Cavalry set the bar at kind of the top end of the league these last two years. Is it just exactly what you talked about to to get to that point? And what kind of goals can York set for this upcoming season? Like, what is a what is a realistic expectation, at least in your your eyes? We'll keep what what we're looking at right now under our hat until we're together as a group. And we've discussed it as a group. I think that's the right thing to do. Um, but when we look at Cavalry and Forge, well, like I think we were the last, like we beat the noisy neighbours last time we played them 3-2 at the Island Games. So I think it's good to have a bit of uh, a needle and a little dig here and there and remind them of that. Cavalry, we lost 1-0 to in terms of we made a mistake. We got punished for it. Ultimately, that got us sent home. Um, but again, thin margins like in that last season um we we conceded a couple of goals so you look at sort of be it pacific or, or halifax who were sort of the darlings of that tournament we should have seen both of those games out one nil flat out like and maybe it's a different story we're having a very different conversation with you guys with who we've recruited what we've done where we are um but this is where we are now um, we build together as a group. We move on. Um, it's a, it's, it literally is a new team. It's going to be York United that takes to the, to the field for the first time. Um, and we look at what we've recruited. I, I really think that people are speaking about the fact that it could be Chris Snow, Dom Zator, Roger Thompson, Absey playing as a back four there. But I think even with what we're recruiting, people are sleeping on young Ryan Lindsay. Ryan's a player that I really think can come into our environment and thrive. Um, Felix as well. Felix isn't going to take just giving a jersey up to his brother. Um, so that's uh, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And like you guys have said, other guys that we've mentioned that we've brought in um, with Noah, Mikey Petrazzo coming back from loan. Um, I'll need to have a check off my phone as soon as we finish discussing because I know he's starting for Barnet tonight. Um, and we're just really looking at what we can do, what we need to do, and really, really driving this all on and forward. And uh, that's exciting. Um, you throw in some of the young team in that as well. Like Lowell's the youngest goal scorer in league history, scored on his debut last year as a 16-year-old. He's going to come into his own. Max Max Ferrari, Ija Halley, Isaiah Johnson, really, really exciting young team. Um, and they're all young local products that we just mentioned as well. So can't wait for it. Can't wait. Just want to be, uh, hopefully we're all allowed to be there together, but um, we're just ready to go and sort of kick a ball and get back going. Well, last well, the last question for me, and I think this will be the, the final question of uh, this very in-depth interview. And we again, appreciate the, the time. 
2026. I feel like it's important to mention it as a Canadian team for Canada. It's going to be a big year for the World Cup. A lot of MLS teams in particular have kind of used that as a benchmark for goals, the league itself. For you as a club, how important is that? You mentioned someone like Lowell Wright. He'll be, what, 24, 25 when 2026 comes around? That's scary. Which is, yeah, one one mind-boggling topic on its own. But is it kind of a benchmark for you guys? Okay, do we want to have someone from York United in the national team at that time? Do we want to be helping grow the game and just kind of it's 2026 are you, are you using that as a measuring stick as a as in terms of long-term goals as they go yeah i think so again relate it back to two things the mission the vision so the mission we make memories so i want someone to say i saw lowell right at york lions stadium when he was x years old and he's playing in a world cup for canada and equally our vision that's our players too we inspire canadians to dream bigger We want them to become recognized as setting new global standards for the sport we love. We want our players to dream bigger. We want them to compete, put themselves in a place where they are in that 2026 squad. um, And they're scoring goals for Canada at a World Cup on home soil. I don't think there can be a better, more sort of, more of a driver, more of a motivational factor for a young player in Canada right now that you have that and you have that opportunity. That is so unique. Um, And it's something that they can, if they make it into a CPL environment, if they're sort of there, they have every opportunity to kick on and drive and take themselves as far as their talent and their determination will allow. Well, Angus, thank you so much for your time and insights. This was was really good to kind of get us kick-started in anticipation of the CPL season. So, uh, yeah, thanks once again, and uh, best of luck to you and York United this year. No, thanks very much, and thanks, you guys, for all your coverage of the league and everything you do. And there we have it, our chat with Angus McNabb. And, boy, lots to unpack there. I mean, we kind of went over three main topics, I think. I went into the rebrand and kind of, fan engagement marketing we went into analytics and 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 on the field and we kind of finished with what's next the future and uh, i think angus was excellent in all those regards you can tell he he knows what's what's going on at york he knows what's he's been there he's got a good experience and i think it's it's interesting to to see what york united has in store i think we've talked about them a lot in in the last year i guess or so on the podcast we maybe haven't been always the biggest fans of what they've done, but I think they've taken some big steps forward. And I think it'll be interesting to see how 2021 season goes for them. Cause I think they could actually finally, we've said this, uh, it's been said a lot about them the last two years, but they can finally make some noise and at least they've got a, some good methods, some good, a good plan to back up what they're looking to do. It feels almost like York's going to have the, the benefits of being an expansion team without, the downsides of being an expansion team like they still they've you've got a spine in place but you've you've changed the feel you've changed the look you've changed a lot of players to kind of give it that mix up it seemed to need desperately and uh i don't think there's many people out there better suited to you know oversee all of that than than angus definitely a an interesting guy a passionate guy a guy with a lot to offer and uh I was chatting to Alex about this uh, when we weren't recording, but it becomes harder and harder to cheer against any of these CPL teams. Like, there's such good and likable stories all around the league. And I think, you know, where 
certainly I was a bit down on York before as as they were York 9. York United is becoming a team that I'm very interested to to watch this season and as Angus was saying just, you know, hoping and and eagerly anticipating that moment when the CPL season starts cuz I I think we could all use it. Yeah, it, it, it's there's been a lot of lot going on in the CPL world recently and maybe not all of it positive. Uh, obviously finances is a big dark cloud what's been going on with the union etc etc but when it comes to comes down to to may when uh, hopefully the season does start it'll be good just to put a bit, lot of that behind us put the players on the field in their kits in their stadiums and just hopefully get back to where things were the kind of upward trajectory and it's never tough for a, for a, for a new league and it, it's definitely never ideal for a new league to be dormant for for such a big period of time. I mean, really, aside from a month of play, they've been dormant for what, like, fifteen plus months, and that's just not healthy for the league. So hopefully, they can uh, get back on track and then start growing and continue to have ambitious projects like the one over at York. And I think it'll be it'll be fun for for Canadian fans to to follow along, and we'll be eagerly waiting because I just think it. It's 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 needed. It's nice. It's refreshing after just seeing sometimes the slog that MLS can be. It'll, it'll be good to, to to see a bit of more grassroots style uh, football in a way. Yeah, and I think from our perspective here on the third sub, we'll definitely have more Canadian Premier League coverage as we lead up towards the season. And on the kind of analytics scouting front, I don't want to give anything away, but we're planning on having a a pretty good guest from the Vancouver Whitecaps that should offer some similar discussions. So looking forward to that as well. And yeah, personally, Alex, I'm just, I'm ready to see CPL and MLS action again. It's been too long. You know, it gives us a good opportunity to have some of these long form discussions, but having matches to talk about is irreplaceable. So yeah, just, you know, bring that on. I'm ready. And I think on that note, we'll wrap it up and hopefully... Hopefully we, you guys are enjoying some of the longer form discussions we've had lately. We've kind of had some more interviews and I think it's been, it's been fun. We've heard from some very interesting people and in different aspects of the industry. And I think we've got more to come. We've got, as, as Sam hinted, there, there's, we're looking to bring in someone who's a little more familiar with the analytics, but we also have plenty of other people lined up. So hopefully you guys are enjoying. And if, if you know someone who enjoyed pass, pass the word along, we, we appreciate and I guess on that note, you can find me on Twitter at Alex Gongiruzic at BTS Fan City, and uh, I'll catch in, I'll pass over to Sam, and for me, I'll catch you guys next time. Yeah, you can find us as always at Third Sub Pod on Twitter. You can find me at uh, Samuel underscore Rowboat on Twitter, and my written stuff at 86forever.com. Thanks again for listening. Happy one year anniversary to the Third Sub, and we'll be back again soon.